0: This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS.
1: Hi there, this is uh, Jeff Robinson from uh, the Research Academy. Uh, welcome back to another one of our podcasts where we just pick up a topic um, and we talk about it. It's uh, Quite often these are questions that kind of come into the Research Academy and um, we kind of feel that they warrant an answer, of course, but an answer that maybe we want to broadcast a a little bit more broadly rather than just answering that one question that goes to that kind of one person. So in these podcasts that we've called, we've got something to say. Um, Today, I've got something to say on the kind of the investment decision-making process that we go through as a sell-side analyst when we're, we're doing our work. And um, all of these podcasts will be hosted on the Research Academy. And if you've not come across the Research Academy before, um, this is essentially our EdTech platform that we have at UBS. So do take a look at the uh, the platform, but it is at wwwubscom forward slash research academy hyphen store. And you will see all the various Different products that we have on there, and as I say, this um, this uh, podcast, this audio cast, is going to be just talking about the investment decision making process. And what I wanted to start off with is is a comment that um I think some people believe is that valuation is easy. And um, all I would say is if you think valuation is easy, um I think potentially you're doing it wrong. Um personally, I think it's 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 pretty hard. Uh, requires quite a detailed, diverse cross-section of skills. You've got to know your numbers. You've got to know how business works. You've got to realise that business interacts with each other. It integrates it. You know, a decision made in one area isn't made in a vacuum. There are knock-on effects elsewhere. It's a really complicated issue to get consistent. And what you'll see with a lot of our work is that we do talk about the consistency narrative Again, we have podcasts separately that look at that type of idea. But the whole thing with the consistency narrative is just making sure that your story stacks up. And that comes up in many, many different forms. But today, what I do want to talk about is this kind of fallacy when it comes to valuation of single point estimates. What I would like you to think about is I'd like you to think about valuation in terms of probability distributions. You know, your, your valuation is possibly a range of outcomes. That, that that price target we see on the front page of an equity research report that says buy the stock. It's $22.50 is the 12-month price target. You've just got to bear in mind that is a single point on a distribution curve. And the one thing about thinking about valuation in terms of distribution is that it forces you to think about scenarios. You know, upside downside base cases and as soon as you're thinking about scenarios it's forcing you to ask more questions about your valuation that ultimately is what i think valuation models are there to do they are question asking tools they're giving you the ability to say well what would happen if x or y changed in my valuation and what impact would that have on the answer that comes out of my valuation work each time you ask a question, let's say let's say you only asked one question, that one question gives you a single point output from your model, which is to me, if you try to visualize this, it's like a, a single data point on a scatter plot. Now, there is no way on this earth you would do any statistical analysis where you looked at a scatter plot, it had a single data point on there, one unit of analysis. And you would then go on to say, well, therefore, I think X, Y, or Z. What you need is a distribution of scatter points data in order you can better analyze your inference. So therefore, you've got to ask multiple questions. And that is what an evaluation model is certainly there to do. Now, this kind of idea of a single point estimate is a a starting point of a multi-day conversation I'm sure we could have. But any investment decision that you or I make does require you to compare two different views about the future. There is no way I can say to you, go buy a stock purely on what I think, right? What we've got to do is we've got to think about what is our view on the future performance of that stock relative to what the market's view of future performance on that stock is. So if my view is positive, but what's priced into the market, it's negative, well, that gives me a a buy signal. Likewise, if my view is negative on the stock, but the consensus view is positive, well, then I've got an anti-consensus view on the downside of that stock, and maybe that's what helps me originate a sell recommendation. So you can have stocks and names that have great fundamentals. That doesn't necessarily imply that it's a buy. If that upside is all priced into the stock and you've got the same view as the market, well, it's all in there, right? You can't say, really, go out and buy that stock because it's all priced into the stock. Likewise, you know, poor fundamentals doesn't necessarily imply a sell. You can have a great stock and have it on a sell because you think the market's possibly overpriced in the particular impact or view on that future performance. So it's impossible, I think, for you to have an opinion about your investment thesis unless you fully understand or you believe you fully understand what is priced into consensus. And then you can articulate why consensus is actually wrong. And that's ultimately the the cornerstone of what we would do with our research here at UBS is that we're gonna try and figure out what is driving that stock we're gonna try and figure out what's priced in, what evidence that we have, and then we're gonna start thinking about the outcome in terms of probability distributions. And the first point that you will see, or the first thing that you should think about when you're looking at stock is, well, what are the, the pivotal questions that would drive that stock price? And this type of information is what we see in the thesis map when we issue our report. So the thesis map is usually number, page number two, in any research report that we publish at UBS. And you'll see the analysts identify um, two, three pivotal questions that they believe will move the stock if we can come up with an answer. Now, each pivotal question does have to have certain qualities about it. Um, The first quality I would point out is that obviously the the pivotal question needs to be relevant, i.e. the stock will actually pivot depending on the answer to that question. So you're identifying a, a critical uncertainty in that stock. Now, for a question to be pivotable, it has to be refutable as well. So it's gotta be specific enough for us to have a good conversation about two reasonable observers where we can disagree or agree with the answer to that question. So it's gotta be relevant, it's got to be refutable, and then as important as the other two, it's the three R's, relevant, refutable, it's gotta be researchable. It's gotta be subject to the fact that we can gather evidence data and insight. And that can help us refute the question in one way or another in order to identify what will move that stock. So to be pivotal, it's got to be an uncertainty. And it's got to be something where if we are able to answer it, it is something that will move that stock price. And that is not an easy task to come up with. So you ask any analyst on the floor, how easy is it to come up with a good pivotal question? It's difficult. Right, you've got to be able to quantify that, ideally put a timeline on it, put a number to that impact. So, you know, what are the chances that in the next 12 months, the EBITDA margin will increase by X number of data points because of X, Y and Z? That becomes a difficult exercise for an analyst to come through. Now, the next stage of kind of uh, you know what's driving our investment thesis is then to try and determine what is priced into the stock. Now, you can do this in many different ways. It is not a formulaic exercise that we're going through. And, you know, it could start off something very, very simple. You know, qualitative analysis. I mean, one thing we we are doing as analysts is that we're in the the very fortunate position to be in the market. Uh, We're speaking to the corporates. We've got guidance from them. Guidance isn't necessarily evidence. I must make that point absolutely clear. But we're speaking to corporates, but we're also speaking to lots of investors, we're speaking to the market. So, you know, qualitative evidence of what's priced in could be, you know, from our conversations with investors, it would seem that the market has not priced in X, Y, or Z. Now, that qualitative evidence isn't data-driven, it's anecdotal, so the quality of it is, it's not questionable per se, it's part of the lens we're looking for, but it's not the only thing you can look at. So you've got your qualitative analysis that we could be interested in, but we've also got quantitative ideas we can look through. Um, Obviously, one of the simplest things we can do on a near-term earnings-based kind of basis is looking at where we sit with our forecast relative to consensus. Now, if we're pricing outside of consensus on an anti-consensus basis, then we're really making a statement that the market isn't pricing in our thought process. Now, that thought process does need to be backed up by data. Now, a slightly longer-term valuation-based idea is you start looking at the price implied uh, long-term growth. So the price is at X number of dollars. What does that say about long-term growth of that stock? And that gives you another lens you can look through. One lens I, I particularly like is the idea of reverse engineering what's into the stock price. And now, uh, as I've got older, and you know, I've been I've been knocking around the block for a, for a good few years. For those of you who know me, is that. Um, I kind of rate my ability to forecast the future at a, 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 not amazing. Right, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see into the future. And the way I value stocks now is my first starting point is thinking, okay, where's the market trading now? Right. If I were to grab a relatively simple discounted cash flow model, it doesn't have to be an amazingly complicated one. Um, what kind of assumptions? What I have to bake into that model to try and back out the stock price? Now, I'm not talking about just chucking out any old assumptions just to get to the answer. I'm thinking really thoroughly about what I know about the business, what I've picked up from speaker to investors, the corporate, all the other lenses that I've looked at, Throwing that into a reverse engineered uh, discounted cash flow model and then thinking, okay, what do I need to do in terms of growth rates, in terms of margins, capex, working capital reinvestments, my discount rate that's in the market, using that information and seeing, can I get to what's in the stock price now? And that just gives me an idea, maybe, of what the market is trying to price it. Again, it's not easy. Right? There are facts there that I can use to justify my work. So if I'm getting to the situation where the only way I can price into the stock is having an amazing revenue profile with margin development, with manageable cash flow and relatively low risk, what I'm going to go back then to do is then start benchmarking those assumptions that I am coming up with to justify the stock price by thinking about maybe top market size. What is the addressable market? How much of that addressable market can I service? Looking at a revenue profile, I think that's just one dimension to look at. Looking at how many units of production I've got to generate in order to back out that revenue profile is just, again, another lens. Now, the next stage really is then thinking about, okay, we've got an idea what the pivotal questions are. Um, How can we then think about our added consensus ideas And how do we test that? And how do we uncover evidence of what is priced into the stock? And that's where, you know, we might pull on something like UBS Evidence Lab to help us gain new alternative data sets to back up whereabouts we're sitting on that particular stock. Um, we'd be looking at other data that we can collect we'd be looking at guidance from clients looking at our own industrial knowledge talking to as many people as possible and wrapping that information up into our models now once we've done that i think a very key thing for us to do and this is getting back to the idea of probability distributions because you know when we are forecasting and i'm, I'm not sure how many people really think about it in this way but When you do a forecast and you've got your cash flow sat in your model and you've got an idea of what free cash flow the firm's going to do this year, next year, and whenever, and that's made up of the revenue forecast, the costs, the taxes that you're paying, the CapEx investment that you're putting back into the business, as well as the working capital, every single number you have in that cash flow forecast is a probability-weighted number. Whether you like it or not, that is what the theory is saying that we're doing. That's where we pick up the specific risks within a business is in those cash flows. Anything that is uh, a systematic risk, yeah, that's gonna be captured in the, uh, the weighted average cost of capital, but anything that was specific to the company, that is in the weighted average probability distribution of those cash flows. So that single point estimate of revenue being three billion in two years time, you've gotta think about that three billion sitting somewhere on that particular curve and that allows us really to go down if you've got that mindset go down that route of thinking about upside and downside scenarios so every valuation you see an analyst do within at UBS within the thesis map it's you know these analysts are asked to think about the upside and downside implications of the scenarios that we're we're working with and this does three things i re- I, I think for the work that we're doing one It's trying to avoid that overconfidence in a single point estimate, right? Your single point estimate, let's be honest, you're not gonna make the call precisely. Now, if I can get a distribution out of that call in the sense that the upside is twice the downside, that's making a statement. If you think about it visually, it's like plotting a, a, a distribution curve that is skewed to the upside. That gives me information. Right. the other thing about scenarios I love is the fact that it, it makes us think outside the box to think about what ifs, potential shocks to the industry or to the stock. Now, I'm pretty sure um, nobody was running downside scenarios in 2019 on the fact that there could be a viral pandemic sweeping the planet, but now we're in that situation, we've got to be running those scenarios. And also, finally, the third point, which I think is vitally important, is that... Um, an upside downside set of scenarios really mirrors the way investors think about risk and reward. You know, at the end of the day, as an investor, you're thinking about putting a stock into your portfolio in order to generate the return. Now, what you've got to be able to do is go in eyes wide open at that stage and think about, well, what money could I make? But then conversely, what is my downside risk of what I could lose if I get this wrong? So really, the big picture of what's, um, you know, a 20-minute a podcast here is don't think of single-point estimates. You're probably going to be wrong. Think about distributions, right? You're probably not going to run Monte Carlo simulation through a standard DCF model. I, I I, can't think of many instances. I've seen that in the 25, 30 years that I've been knocking around, but Running scenarios is a way to execute a simulation based valuation where you're just asking three sets of different questions. What money could I make? What's the upside? What's my downside risk? And can I quantify where the skewness sits within that valuation? Now, if you can do that and you can give an idea of the probability of the direction of the stock price, that I think is a very useful case for an investor. And then you've got your evidence that you've collected to justify the answers to your pivotal questions. You've got a view on what's priced in, what's not priced in. You have those two views, your view relative to the market. Only then can you come up with a recommendation to say whether you go and buy a stock or you sell the stock, or maybe you just hold it on a neutral. And it's a mindset thing at the end of the day. Don't think single-point estimates, all right? Um, my name's Jeff Robinson. Uh, I run the Research Academy here at UBS. I also run uh, Fundamental Analytics. But you've got any questions, um, just let us know. Uh, our email address is up there in the uh, the Research Academy website. So the email address is researchacademy at ubs.com. The website is ubs.com forward slash researchacademy hyphen store. We hope to speak to you soon, all right? Speak to you soon, all right? Cheers then, bye-bye.
0: This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries, and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content. It has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, or tax. Purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2021. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS, all rights reserved.